Yeah, thank you for tuning in. It's more than a podcast. Inexhaustible episodes, God's vast. Glorify him as we broadcast the Lord's grace and God's wrath. More serious than a bomb blast. Full disclosure inside the title. No surprises, simply put, guys with Bibles, yeah. Just some regular reborn reformed cats If it's in the Bible, then they're gonna speak on that Cause the scripture is the final word okay. Competing ideas, quite absurd Of this you can be quite assured yeah. We were lost in the darkness of night immersed in sin But then the, the light, light emerged. emerged It was the Son of God, divine Christ that shines light The word in Genesis that assigned life in hindsight And was revealed through the prophets and apostles We magnify and expound on the power of the gospel Yeah, yeah Hey everyone, this is Guys with Bibles. I'm Sean. And I'm Lee. And this is the second take for this podcast. Uh, Nehemiah 13. I'm going to put my gripes to the side. Yeah, I had a lot of a lot of issues that I wanted to talk about, but what did you do today, Lee? Well, I went to work like a good Christian boy, and uh, I have eaten two dinners now today, and I am uh, I am ready to talk about Nehemiah. What'd you do today? Well, I I took a day off from work and saw my son off to his very first day of first grade this morning. Wow! And then. While he was at school, I went out to my hunting spot and checked my tree stand and made sure everything was all right there and nobody stole anything and it was all there. And then I walked about 50 yards, 80 yards away from that and set up a ground blind so I can take my kids hunting with me this year. So you're not going to let them climb a tree? No, I figured 20 feet sitting on the side of a tree, probably not the safest. Kids got to grow up sometime, man. Yeah. Don't coddle them. When they're 10, I'll throw them out of the tree. But <laughs> Until then, they'll be safe. Yeah. So that's all I did today. We don't have Scott with us this evening because he's having a bit of a family emergency, so... Prayers for Scott and Alex and the girls. Hopefully everything gets settled soon. Um, and since we don't have Scott, I have to ask, are you using a pencil this evening? Um, I haven't used a pencil today, but uh, the I, I'm kind of OCD with my pencil usage, so I only use one pencil until it's a nub. <laughs> um so that reminds me of a bit from my uh, stand-up special, but go ahead. So I'm current. I'm currently on the Black Wing Volume One. Has the I believe it has the pearl core in it. So it's it's quite a good pencil. Very dark. Preach. Very good pencil for artists yep. and writers alike. 
Yeah, it's a delicious pencil. And I always carry And I know that because I've eaten one. Wow. (laughs) And I always carry my my Timber Twist bullet pencil, which has a Blackwing 602 nub in it right now, so. Love it. So. Can't uh, beat a Timber Twist. Nope. And if you don't know what a bullet pencil is, you need to get with the times, figure it out, and order one. Because they're great. Because you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You're living your life wrong if you don't have a bullet pencil. Exactly. Yeah, every every Christian needs one. This is most certainly true. Yeah, I have mine, but mine has the stub of a Blackwing 54, which has the You think you're better than me? Out. Yeah. You probably are. <laughs> no, if I am, it's not by much. If you um, hear a weird snorting sound, it's my dog. He's fine. Going crazy. He'll get over it. I have another another uh, writing utensil with me tonight too, and it's actually it's a fountain pen. <clears throat> Incidentally, this fountain pen is the same size as the Timber Twist bullet pencil. It's the Caveco Sport. So mine is green with kind of gold trim and a gold nib, and so I got a gold pocket clip to go on it too. But it is, I I believe. It's just a tad shorter than the Timber Twist bullet pencil, but about the same, uh, the same width, the same girth. I don't know. I don't know how you would describe that, but they're about the same size. So it's like perfect to stuff in a, a shirt pocket or a hip pocket. I believe you have the a pen and a pencil with you. Diameter. Diameter. That's it. I don't math very well. Uh, you have to math well. Yeah. I struggle. So that, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. My, my nephew just got into college and he, he was having issues with his algebra class already. And, uh, uh, he called uncle Sean and I saved the day. I, I was, the sad thing was I was excited to do algebra. <laughs> You're a freak. I know. Was that a famed, um, Dove award-winning recording artist Chris Tomlin. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Best yep. of luck to him. <laughs> tell tell him to never write another good good father. <laughs> he. But we're all revolting. You know how he he wrote the he just kept repeating the same math answer for every question. <laughs> I was like, Chris, you got to get away from this man. <laughs> Branch out a or little. he, or he'd take a classic theorem from uh, from geometry, and he would just add his own thing to the end of it. Yeah, and then call it his theorem. Yeah, terrible. Yeah, he jacked the Pythagorean theorem, and and then yeah, then he tried to pass it off as his own and make some money off of it. Not cool. Not cool, Chris Tomlin. <laughs> uh, all right. Anyway. All right. Nehemiah 13. Oh, boy. Last chapter of this book. So this has really been quite a roller coaster of a book. A lot has happened. Yeah, I got there really... Been em- some... I've been really emotional about it. I, I, it's, it is quite the soap opera. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's devotional. It's got drama. It's got hair pulling. <laughs> it, <it's> got... <laughs> I was going to say it. You did. 
I had to. It's it's one of the standout verses from this book. It's it's my favorite which, verse of the whole Bible. Will, which we will get to very quickly. Yep. So, all right. Well, the uh, so the first section. I don't. I'm reading it in NASB, and so there are four sections that are set out here. Uh, the first is uh, exclusion exclusion of foreigners. Then Tobiah gets kicked out, and the temple gets cleansed. Then they restore the tithe, and then most importantly, they restore the Sabbath, and then the mixed marriages are forbidden. So, those are kind of the... Actually, that's five sections, isn't it? Yep. I was reading it in the Preacher's Bible before, and there were four sections. And my CSB has only one section. But... You know, alas, I'm going to go ahead and drop the ball on that. I'm going to go ahead and uh, before we start uh, for the King Trading Company uh, did a rock. Yeah, Brock, he's a great guy. He he's down in Louisiana and he did a run of CSB large print ultra thin Bibles Um he had them rebound by uh, Abba in Mexico City, I believe. Which does not mean daddy. No. Go ahead. Continue. Sorry. It's a, it's a Swedish band. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, it is, but... Uh, Dancing queen! <laughs> but he had these rebound in this really cool... Distressed calfskin. I'm just gonna keep talking. <laughs> Distressed calfskin leather, and uh, they look awesome. And I'm really excited. I've been talking about this Bible nonstop for two months now, and it should be getting to me in the mail by Saturday, hopefully. So awesome! I am pretty. The excited. pictures are gorgeous. Yeah, it looks they look great. Um, I'll have to I'll try to get a link to that in the show notes so people can look. Yeah, because I think aren't some of them still available to order? No, the whole first run is sold out. He's getting oh good. He's getting ready to do a second run, and I think he's going to do some ESV thin lines in uh, the same leather, the distressed calfskin, and it looks so cool. If you like that, like old beat up leather look which I absolutely love. You'll love it. So, um, as hit. someone who spends most of my life distressed, I like to see that mirrored in my Bible covers. Yes. And, uh, it, if you have any interest at all in any like leather products, hand, handmade leather products, look up for the King trading company on Facebook and, Brock, and I'll put it in the show notes. Brock will hook you up. And I'm going to talk about this again after, I get it. And we're going to oh, put a know, selfie of me with it in the show notes. <laughs> and you now, get it to me. back to Nehemiah 13. Sorry. No, that's that's great. Um, okay, so Nehemiah 13. Uh, for the first section, I just had some notes about the fact that um, when they're talking about getting excluding the foreigners... That they're basically requoting Deuteronomy twenty three three through five, where it's talking about not letting Ammonites and Moabites um, into the fellowship, into into their 
into their community because uh, they wouldn't give help to um, the people of Israel uh, during their wandering. And then, insult to injury, they hired Balaam, who was kind of a a wizard for hire. A seer. You know, a seer, yeah, whatever you want to call him. And uh, they, they tried to pay him to put a curse on the people of God. And try as he might, God wouldn't let him do it. And in fact, God directed him to proclaim a blessing on the people of Israel instead of a curse. So um, they reminded, Nehemiah reminded the people of that and to not associate with Ammonites or Moabites. Don't forget what they tried to do to you through Balaam. And only because of God's loving kindness uh, that he, he took Balaam's intent to bring a curse, and instead used him as a vessel to bless God's people. Pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, which uh, is kind of a reflection of uh, what Joseph said back in Genesis chapter 50, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Yeah, exactly. So. Boom. Now, what was that Deuteronomy passage again? 23, 3 through 5. Okay. It essentially is the same verbiage altogether. And, of course, the reference for uh, the story of Balaam is from Numbers. Yeah. I think that's uh, chapter 22. It goes, it's a couple chapters long, but it starts in Numbers 22. So that's pretty straightforward. It, once again, reminding the people exactly what the law says and why they should follow it. Right. All right. I don't More really... drama. I don't really have anything to add to that. That's pretty much all. Yeah, I knew you didn't. You know how I know you that you didn't? Because you didn't the last time we recorded it. <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, okay, so on to verses 4 through 9. Um, we can read it because I, I think it's so, I think it's such a fun little little bit. You care if I read it? No. Okay. No. All right. Oh. No, I'm okay, kidding. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will just because you told me. You are the host tonight. Oh, okay. Um, now, prior to this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, being related to Tobiah, had prepared a large room for him, where formerly they put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the utensils, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. But during all this time, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had gone to the king. After some time, however, I asked leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and learned about the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, by preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. It was very displeasing to me, so I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Then I gave an order, and they cleaned the rooms, and I returned there the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. <laughs> hey, so, man. So, um, that, that's, that's a pretty... Uh, that's some hardcore thing. stuff. Yeah. So basically what I was thinking about when I read this passage was the temple is first and foremost the physical dwelling place of God among his people. And right. 
Eliashib is treating it like a apartment. And he literally took... For a foreigner, by the way. Yeah, for a, someone that's not even a Hebrew. And let alone he's not, he's not a priest. He shouldn't even be in there. So he took all the articles that the Levites would use to care for the the temple and to do all the rituals and all the sacrifices and whatnot. And he just boxed them up basically and shoved them in a closet, so to speak, and brought this Tobiah guy in there to live. And that's wrong on so many levels. When you read through the old Testament, how, how holy this place is, how it's literally where God dwells on earth before Christ became incarnate. And this is just, it's just, it's, it's like a defilement of the temple. Right. Well, I mean, there's, it's, there's good reason why Nehemiah calls it evil that's being done by Eliashib. Right. The high, the priest. And uh, it, it reminds, I mean, this won't be the, the last time that the, that the temple has to be cleansed either. No, Jesus does it. Yeah, Jesus does it. Except and, he cleaned it with a whip. Yeah. <laughs> he went like full Chuck Norris mode on it. And, <laughs> no, But it's like, uh, the, the idea, I said this in the last one, in the last recording as well. Um, <laughs> the, the idea of sin physically transferring to stuff is quite evident in the Old Testament. And... It's, it's evident here because uh, Nehemiah wants, he has the room, the CSB says purified, yours says cleaned. Yeah. Um, he, he wants that defilement, that sinful human being that was dwelling in that room, he wants that impurity removed from that room before he can bring the articles that are used for worship, the, the incense, the, the candle holders, the everything. He, he wants all that purified before he can move those articles back in that room. So right, because they'd been made ritually unclean because of the presence of Tobiah. Right. Yeah, you, uh, you stated that so well, I really don't have anything to add to it. Oh, uh, one other thing, though, uh, about uh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah going to uh, back to King Artaxerxes. You know, we remember at the beginning of the book, Nehemiah was serving as cupbearer to him, and uh, and he told him, I need to go to Jerusalem. And so the, so the king asked him, are you going to come back? And uh, he said he would. So he's keeping his word here. He's become governor of the region and everything. But he's still going to keep his word to the king. Yes, I'm going to come back and I'm going to discharge my original duties. So I'm going to assume he he went back here to fulfill that word, and then got leave again to return to Jerusalem and keep keep working on his true mission to uh, in honor of God. Right. Because he, as a believer, he serves God first rather than men. But still, as a man of his word, following the law. He has to honor his obligation to his uh, his earthly employer too. Yep. 
And uh, he got back just in time to kick Tobiah out onto his tuchus. Exactly. Tuchus. Tuchus. <laughs> yeah, and he deserved it because Tobiah, uh, all through this book, has shown himself to be a real jerk who hated everything that yeah, Nehemiah he, was about. And the the weird thing is he was in like full opposition to the rebuilding of the wall and the and the temple and now he's living in it. Uh, it it's just it's a strange thing. It's a strange I think it's, it's another a, it's another phase of him trying to get in the way of the progress. Yeah, you know, they 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 managed to rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls, do all that stuff. They now have the temple service together. So now he's going to leverage his relationship with the priest to go in there and and essentially take the place of the the, the temple service because you can't you you can't do in the temple what you need to do if there's no place to store the uh, utensils and the grain offerings and the frankincense and all that stuff. If you don't have that stuff there to use, you can't do the temple service. Right. So I almost see it as a way for him to continue standing in the way of of worship by actually physically putting himself in the temple and taking up residence there himself and, and keeping the priests from doing their work. Yeah, and frankly, the priests weren't doing their work anyway, as we'll read on. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Speaking of that, uh, we can go on and you so can maybe, continue your So maybe Eliashib was like, we're not using this stuff anyway. We'll just box it up, get it out of the way, and then could, you can live Could be. I, I guess I never thought about it that way, but that that is possible. But you're using of, your noggin. Enough of me reading into the text what isn't there. No, I think that makes sense. So, so um, moving on then, uh, we're we're back to talking about the tithes, and like you were like you were saying, the it, it's entirely possible that the priests weren't doing what they were supposed to do because we see in verse ten that Nehemiah had to get on on the Levites because the Levites weren't even at the temple performing the temple service. They were back at home tending to their fields, which is the exact opposite of what they were supposed to do under the law. Because even though the the Levites had property, they were supposed to spend basically all their time in their rotation serving in the temple. Right. They, weren't, they weren't really going to be farming. They were supposed to be having uh, produce delivered to them because their designation was to be only the worship of God. So now, because basically they're in there starving, they're having to go home and close the temple down so they can have some food to eat. Yeah, because the people weren't bringing the tithes that they were supposed to be bringing under the law to support the Levites while they care for the temple and run the temple and so and we know it wasn't out of a shortage of that stuff because as we'll see in the next section they were doing pretty brisk business anyway yeah so they had plenty of commerce going they had they had plenty of material they they were were, just neglecting to do it they were working seven days a week even on the sabbath so (laughs) disgusting (laughs) the sabbath was made to go to church and then to go deer hunting. Yeah. And eat a casserole. <laughs> if I you're a still, Baptist. Or a Lutheran, still, incidentally. Yeah. 
I still that's laugh the about one other the, crossover uh, between Baptists and Lutherans is the love of the casserole. Yeah. We should have asked Chad Bird about that when he was on. That's true. The uh, I still crack up with the Babylon B, the new like four hundred and thirty gallon crockpot model has been released by Crockpot, and it's known as the Baptist. <laughs> Imagine all the tuna noodle you could get into that and, thing. And I was, I sat there and I laughed and I was like, "It's so true." That's that's the problem with Babylon B, and that's why Snopes hates them so much because it's obviously satire, but it's just weird enough you could almost believe it would happen. Yeah. <laughs> but Snopes needs to knock it off. Yeah, they do. They need to yeah. chill out. Shut up, Snopes. Anyway, sorry, I'm in your way. So he uh, he gathers the Levites. And he stations them at posts. He he wants them back where they're supposed to be, not farming their own land. He wants them back working in the temple, not neglecting it. And in order to do that, he needs to get the people back tithing the way they should be. Correct? Yeah. It's almost like a domino effect if you think about it. The people stop tithing. The Levites start to get hungry. They have to... Then the, then the temple service stops because they've got to go home and raise their own food. Right. People aren't bringing sacrifices anymore. People aren't bringing first fruit offerings. They're not, they're not bringing grain offerings or anything. So they're, there's no food for the Levites to eat because they take, as, as part of their wage under the law, they take a small portion of that sacrifice for themselves. That is allowed. Right. And that's what they eat. And if people aren't bringing that stuff, they have nothing to eat. And they're dishonoring God. And that's the worst part. So Nehemiah does what he does best, and he organizes a a little committee here. Uh, He appointed a priest, a scribe, uh, and a a Levite, and another guy, four guys, and they were going to be in charge of distributing the goods to the uh, the priests to make sure that they don't go without. So not only did he kind of whip up the people to actually begin following the law and putting in their tithes, but then he also put reliable leaders, at least that's how the NASB put it, men that were found to be reliable, and they were going to uh, make sure that everything gets passed out properly and uh, that, so the priests can focus on their, their real ob- objectives. Once again, oh, Nehemiah doing a bang-up job. Yep. That is true. He. It, it's amazing how far they fell so fast. Yeah, because it was just, what, at the end of chapter 10, or end of chapter 9, beginning of chapter 10, where they signed their, reaffirmed their covenant with God, saying that they would keep up um, what they should do according to the law, and here we go. Um, they're having to 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 kick Ammonites and Moabites out of the group. Uh, they have a priest that's letting a foreigner live in the temple. The people are going on and not giving their tithes and supporting the temple service. And then they they're going and um, and working on the Sabbath and still marrying foreigners. So our people's word means nothing. 
They could sign a document or whatever, but their hearts are wicked. And even if they intend to do good, you still can't, you still don't do good because none of us can, can obey the law all on our own. Yeah. We just see that over and over and over again. Yeah. It's it's nothing new. I mean, if you go back to Exodus 19 verse eight, I believe, um, after the people had heard the law that Moses delivered to them from God, from Mount Sinai, they responded, all at the same time, we will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's word back to the Lord. And they lied. And they did not do all that they were supposed to do. They did not follow the word of God, and that that's a pattern that, uh, and what that does is it just drives home the fact that we need a savior. We can't do it ourselves. Yep. We sit on a throne of lies, and we smell like beef and cheese. I was going to say, you definitely smell like beef and cheese. How long, O oh Lord? <laughs> we just mixed the Psalms and... And the movie Elf together. Wow, I don't, I don't know. Only on this show could that possibly happen. <laughs> so in the next section, um, Nehemiah uh, breaks some kneecaps, or at least threatens to break some kneecaps over um, respecting the Sabbath. So the people were were working all week long, including on the Sabbath, selling selling and buying food. So they had foreigners coming in from Tyre who brought in fish and other merchandise. And uh, Nehemiah saw it, and he just, like, brings in the leaders, or what uh, Nasby calls the nobles of Judah, and says, What is this evil thing you're doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do the same so that our God brought on us and on the city all this trouble? Yet you are adding to the wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So he's like, do you not understand? We just came back from an exile because you guys didn't care about God's law and didn't respect his Sabbath. And here we are. We're back home again. We just had to do all this work to rebuild our hometown, the city where God has has intended to, to make his name live there. And here you are doing the very same thing again by by buying and selling and disrespecting God on the Sabbath when you should be resting and worshiping. Right. So then so then he takes some extreme steps and he closes up the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, which to on our calendar, which would have been before sundown on Friday night. So he shuts the door so that nobody can come in or come out, and he puts servant at servants at the gates, uh, so that no loads could go in or out, because that would be work. Uh, and then so he actually had to um, threaten um, foreign traders and merchants with force because they're like camping out outside the gates like uh, weirdos that camp out outside a, an Apple store when there's a new phone coming out. Yeah, we. Uh, you know what? I probably would have done that at one point, honestly. Back... <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not like that anymore, basically, because I need to sleep in my own bed in order to maintain my sanity. Yes. But he says, why do you spend the night in front of the wall? If you do so again, I will use force against you. <laughs> and I, in my mind, I kind of see him like standing up on top of the wall, shouting down, and just like, you know, holding a Louisville slugger, yeah. you know, and just kind of like patting it in his, in his hand, just, like you know. Like wrapped in barbed wire. Exactly. Yeah, he's going to go Negan from Walking Dead on this thing. <laughs> like he, he sees them trying to bring some fish in. He's just going to go and just, 
knock their heads off with that barbed wire bat. So yeah, I mean, he's he's taking it seriously. And so he had uh, Levites come, and they actually, after purifying themselves, uh, worked as gatekeepers to make sure that the people weren't going to continue to disrespect the Sabbath day. Right. And it, I just, it, this kind of just hit me. It, it's just sad that it takes Nehemiah threatening people and and uh, and directing the priests and the Levites to actually, you know, move towards fulfill, working in God's law and not disobeying it. It takes a man. Well, you know, you know, when God's people are are bound and determined to to commit sin, it takes a strong leader. I think we might call them pastors to 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 take some extra steps to not only show them the error of their ways, but also even to take steps to get in the way of them committing that sin as an attempt to, to encourage them to live a holy life. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, when, when someone, well, I'm coming at it from like an Ephesians perspective here, but when someone or Romans one, when, when you're in an unbeliever, you have not been converted. You don't believe in God. You don't believe in Christ and you're in sin, you don't see it. You no, actually you don't. You actually like it. I mean, sin feels it's good, good, right? It's good. You can explain it away in so many ways. Yeah, and uh, so so you don't even understand the depth of depravity that you're in and uh, until someone comes along and basically beats you over the head, and so to speak, and... Sh- and shoves it in your face and shows you how disgustingly filthy yeah. you actually are. In the, or Nehemiah breaks your kneecap, so you have to lie there and listen to him tell you how bad you are. Yeah, and he rips your hair out. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's coming next, isn't it? But, yeah, it takes it takes God changing your heart in yeah. order for you to actually see who you actually are without God. So absolutely. And you know, as, and then as a believer, you have, um, you have the grace of being part of a local, a local church because sometimes the people you go to church with and, uh, and you're seeing them Lord's day in Lord's day out. So they'll sometimes see things in you though. They might see your struggles before you do. And like iron sharpening iron, they can, bring that to your attention and pray for you and 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 show you grace and help you in your sanctification because you know we're not very good at policing ourselves and seeing our own sin sometimes our sins are more apparent to people around us than to ourselves because oh, yeah. we're we're good at fooling ourselves absolutely so. all right you've got to you've got to get us to your favorite verse in this chapter okay so what verse are we at now uh, 23. Are we at 23? All right. Do you want me to read this section? Oh, yeah. We okay, got it. I'll, I'll read to the end of the, the book here. In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples, but could not speak Hebrew. I rebuked them, cursed them, 
beat some of their men, and pulled out their hair. I forced them to take an oath before God and said, you must not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters as wives for your sons or yourselves. Didn't King Solomon of Israel sin in matters like this? There was not a king like him among many nations. He was loved by his God and God made him king over all Israel. Yet for... I'm sorry. Yet foreign women drew him into sin. Why then should we hear about you doing all these terrible evil and acting unfaithfully against our God by marrying foreign women? Even one of the sons of Jehoiada, son of the high priest Eliashib, has become a son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite, so I drove him away from me. Remember them, my God, for defiling the priesthood as well as the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. So I purified them from everything foreign and assigned specific duties to each of the priests and Levites. I also arranged for the donation of wood at the appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, my God, with favor. And we so, know God did because he preserved a, a record of his of Nehemiah's works in his yep. uh, inspired words. So, yeah, that, that was a good prayer for him to, to pray. So why in the world did he pull their hair out? Why was he such a big fat meanie? Well, the the he saw these Jews marrying foreign women from these other nations and half their ch- and basically all their kids did not know the language of that they should have. They did not know Hebrew. They could not worship God because they couldn't understand the word being read to them, the law. Oof. And so Nehemiah, he he went off. He <laughs> he uh, he really did. He popped off here. Yeah he he cursed them. He beat them. He rebuked them, and he pulled out their hair. And uh, that sounds well. It's rough, but. What is the significance of pulling out hair in the Old Testament? It's a sign of shame. So if people were ashamed of something, or actually even in even uh, prisoners of war, sometimes their beards were either shaved or pulled out um, as a way of it's it's kind of like um, it's like that terrible dream where um, you're at school and you've forgotten to wear pants or something. It's yeah. that it's that kind that of shame. That actually happened like, to me once. <laughs> I'm not I'm just, surprised. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm gonna say anything can happen at Triad, so I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> uh, actually, it's funny. I was actually just reading last night in in McShane. In um, it's in Second Samuel. Um, I forget which chapter, but it was uh, Second uh, Samuel ten, and uh. Some POWs returned to David's camp, and they had been um, uh, they had been shamed by their captor, and uh, they came back with their beards half shaved. Okay, that's Hanun. He's the king of the Ammonites. Which again, remember, Ammonites are from Ammon or Ammon, which is in verse twenty three here. So those people hate the Jewish people, right? And so hate does them. so does Moab. And Moab too, right. 
And the same for Ashdod, but they're not quite the household name to us right. as enemies of God as the Ammonites and the Moabites, because they're just like notoriously evil in the pages of Scripture. So we're, we know them well for being evil to God's people. So And, and we know the—I'm not sure about Ashdod, but I know if you go back to Genesis, you can— you can trace back the origins of the Moabites and the Ammonites. Right, yeah. This is a hatred that's been brewing for a very long time. Right. So, And it, that's why it's so offensive to Nehemiah that that God's covenant people are, are selling out their identity as the covenant children to look like people that hate them for what they are and who they, whose God they are or, right. or, or what God they serve. Um, and it almost it almost reminds me of when uh, they the the Israelites demanded a king, and ooh, good point. And they, which in it in and of itself, wanting because everybody king, else had one, all the cool kids were doing it. Yeah, and and wanting a king, it, it says in Deuteronomy, you know, it, there will be a king. There, there's going to be a king. So that's not the bad part. The bad part was they wanted a king just like all the other nations around them had to judge them that way, not according to God's law, but according to the ways yeah, of it, these It other wasn't nations. good enough to have the promise of, of Christ to be their king. They wanted to have an earthly king right now, just like everybody else. So their choice was Saul, and he ended up a, a like disturbed, blithering idiot <laughs> there, there at the end. Yeah, and, he really did. And... Uh, just chucking spears everywhere and yeah he's hearing going to witches yeah so he yeah he like didn't he like summon the spirit of samuel at one point yeah and samuel got real ticked cuz so, he was yeah, he's like, he, he had plenty to of better things here. to do he had plenty of better things to do at that moment but uh well and you so, know talking about kings that's why uh nehemiah even brings up here about solomon Right. You know, even Solomon, who was the one that built the temple in the first place, and even he got caught up in sin uh, in, in, in running after foreign women. Right, and even in, um, if you go, I can't remember the, is it 12? If you go to uh, 2 Samuel, I'm not going to remember where it's at. There is the, uh, the prophecy, uh, it, well, it's the New Covenant, or not the new covenant, the Davidic covenant, um, where he says that after David dies, there will be right. one to come from his body, that his descendant that will be. A great I think that's king. in chapter seven. It, is it seven? Yeah, yeah, it's Second Samuel seven. But uh, there's. Um, I will appoint my place, appoint a place for my people Israel. And will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. I will raise up your. This is Second uh, uh, Samuel seven twelve. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and will, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men. In the strokes of the son of men, but my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Yes. So, 
Solomon, even though he was a sinful man and he did a lot of not good things while he was reigning over the the Hebrews here, he he uh, he was the, in a sense, the fulfillment of that, in in a near sense. Yeah, the immediate but, fulfillment. Yeah, the, he was the immediate fulfillment of that, but Solomon and David were a shadow pointing to the true one true king Jesus. So uh, Hey man. It's it's kind of interesting how how that works, you know, even a near fulfillment of of a covenant was tainted with sin. But it's like again a, a sign of grace too because God made this promise and he knew Solomon is just going to be every bit as sinful as any other man that walked on the earth. Right. But God promised that he was going to give give him the blessing of being able to build the temple, which would be further pointing us in the direction of Christ until his fulfillment uh, in the incarnation. But even though he was going to, to commit some grievous sins, God's uh, grace was still going to be on him because he's in the covenant. Right, absolutely. And God doesn't turn his back on people in the covenant, even if they violate the covenant on their own because they're bad. Because uh, they're all bad. The only person in the covenant that isn't bad is the one who initiated the covenant. That would be God. And then God, he can't do bad. The And I, I kind of want to jump back because periodically Nehemiah will have these short prayers in between these sections where remember mm-hmm. me for this, my God, or uh, remember oh, me my God, have this. and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. Yes, and remember, remember them, my God, for defiling the priesthood as well as the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites, and then remember me, my God, with favor. That word remember is linked really closely to covenant promises so like noah god remembered noah and his family and he kept them so he preserved them god remembered abraham he 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 remembered isaac he remembered jacob and all these people were under the covenant and it remembering for god god doesn't forget obviously right right but it's more of a action for God. It's it's something that God. It's kind of hard to explain, actually. Well, it's like a cons- like asking Him to consider them. You know, you know, you see what they're doing. Consider them. And and, uh, gosh, it's it's you're right. It's it's hard because that's not how our language works now. You know what I mean? Right. It's it's a strange it's a strange concept, but it's remember it's is not... Z- zakar, and I I pulled this up in uh, literal word, so it can be anything from to remember or to recall. It can also be it can mean to be brought to remembrance or be thought of or brought to mind. Right. So it's and, like and... a be mindful of what's happening here. You know, don't because you know God sees everything going on in the world and to us in our finite minds we can't even if we we see a lot of things with our eyes but we don't consider all of them because we just don't have the capacity to do that so 
in speaking in a human way, he's he's kind of saying, you know, God, I know you see and you consider everything, but this situation right here, please remember this, because he would have to have somebody ask him, Nehemiah would, to remember something significant, because right. he just can't remember everything. So even though we know God doesn't forget, he sees everything, and he knows it all, and he knew it all before it happened in our time. But still, because it's important to Nehemiah, he's using human language here to say, God, I know that you know this is important to me, and I know it's important to you too. So remember, remember what we've done here. Yeah, and it's almost, you could almost add after remember in all of these is in light of your promises. Right. Something like yeah. that. That's where all so, the hope would come from. Yeah, because... God has made promises to these people, and no matter how bad it gets, I mean, read Lamentations. Pretty bad. No matter how bad it gets, God, there's always hope that God's going to pull you out of all that mire, all that muck, and and get you back on, and you will get back on track. He is going to preserve his people. He is going to save them. But sometimes the road's a little bumpy along the way, so. Glow ray. That's good. That'll that'll preach. That'll um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is actually a pretty good recap of the book. But did you have any just final comments to just kind of wrap up the whole Ezra Nehemiah experience we've been going through? Um. Well, I already kind of touched on. Yeah. God's God's grace and whatnot and and helping them keep uh, keep the law or whatnot but uh, mine's more of a study um, thought here while while if you're studying the historical books of the Bible and you get to Ezra, when you read Ezra, do not stop at Ezra. You need to read Nehemiah as well, and probably Esther. Um, they're all closely linked, and they're all happening basically, sim- like, you know, they're all linked, but they're all kind of zoomed in on a different aspect of the same story. Yeah, that's a good point. So you're getting... They overlap. Yeah, they're not happening, you know, simultaneously at the exact same time, obviously. But it's it's around the same time period, but there's three... You're zoomed in on three specific characters and what's happening around them. And especially Ezra and Nehemiah. I mean, Ezra's in Nehemiah. So. In, in the home front in yeah, Jerusalem. So, so he's... So these books are just so closely linked that if you're going to be studying any one of these books, you need to read the other two as well to really get the full context of what's going on in the area. So, but that's all I got. Awesome. And hopefully we're going to be reading Esther next. I'm going to put some heavy social pressure on that. Yeah, Scott's Heavy. not here. We'll make an executive decision. Yeah, this is a two-thirds vote right here. Yep. 
This yeah, is America. I, majority rules. <laughs> exactly. Um, the only thing I would add, just as a as a capper for Ezra and Nehemiah, is just that you know a lot of people right now are concerned about the state of the church and about the state, especially in the U.S., but really across the world, about what what in the world is going on with Christianity. You know, everything's so worldly, and we've got, you know, there's different denominations that are capitulating to the world on so many issues, and a lot of people are thinking, you know, oh no, the church is doomed. You know, we're we're going down a slippery slope that we'll never be able to climb back out of, but um, if we take the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, we know that God really does have a purpose for his church, and he... Um, like like Jesus says that the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. So even in a time of what seems to be increasing worldliness, it's nothing compared to what God's people were doing at this time. And God sent brave leaders and uh, you know a, a sense of revival. I'd say not in the uh, sawdust trail sense, but the uh, or the the sweaty tent in the middle of July. But <laughs> but a, a sense of actual renewal um, under the work of the Holy Spirit for people to return to the Word of God and to take seriously what the kind of life that God has called His people to and to take our place in the covenant seriously again. And uh, by God's grace, He's always brought uh, He's always brought up a leader to. Uh, call his church back to the uh, the passion for the Word of God and for the glory of God and to actually live out the kind of life that God has called his people to live out um, in front of the world. It's not convenient, it's not always fun, but it honors God, and that's, that's the whole point. So I, I find stories like this to be encouraging in, in days like, in, in times that we have like now, where things seem uh, really difficult and sometimes bleak, not only just in our country, but around the world too. But God does have a purpose for his church, and he will protect it against uh, all sorts of forces that would seek to uh, damage it and try to undo it. And we know that God promises that the the church will stand. So uh, I'm encouraged by reading books like this. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Boom. All right, well, that's Nehemiah. We're done. Lee, yep. where can they find us? Website, guyswithbibles.com. Blogs, they're there. Audio of the podcast is there. Get on the podcatchers and subscribe to Guys With Bibles. It's on iTunes, the Google Podcast Store, whatever you want to call that. I think it used to be Google Play, but I think it's something else now. So I just sound like a dingus when I say that. Yeah, um, I think it's like like Google like Music or something now. It, like it might be. I think Google I don't Play I don't, is just I don't, apps I don't, now. I don't own second-rate Android stuff, so yeah, it's only top-shelf Apple products for us. <laughs> It was one of my top shelf ac- uh, Apple products that uh, destroyed our first attempt at a podcast, so I shouldn't brag on them too hard. Yeah. Um, 
So subscribe there. You can get us on any podcatcher, I believe, except for Spotify. So Podbean, Pocket Casts, Overcast, uh, all that stuff. We'll, we're out there. Thanks to Stephen Melnison for giving us our new artwork. It's already up it's at beautiful. the site. It is so gorgeous. It's exactly what we were all looking for. Um, and the, the only thing, and Jeremy Lee pointed this out, as Baptists, I don't think one drop of water is really quite fitting. But yeah, oh yeah, well, we don't sprinkle. <laughs> no, we we immerse. We're gonna we're gonna dunk you. We're gonna dunk you. As 1689 Reformed Baptists, 1689, you need to be baby. baptized by immersion. And the Holy Ghost. Anyway, <laughs> um, if you want to reach out and talk to us, we're on all the social medias that matter. Facebook, we have the Guys with Bibles group. You can follow us on both Twitter and Instagram, at Guys with Bibles. You can also email us at guyswbibles at gmail.com. Dot com. Oh, yeah. And is that it? Did we get it all? Yeah, we're done. All right. And this is Guys with Bibles, and we're out. Done. Done.